This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us. Several years ago, you'll recall that Atlanta's fire chief, Kelvin Cochran, lost his job for declaring biblical truth in a book. That's what it was. Dr. Cochran had been named the International Association of Fire Chiefs Fire Chief of the Year in 2012. He was the first black U.S. fire administrator, and he had penned a book called Who Told You That You Were Naked for a men's group at his church that quoted the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. This ended up leading to his termination and a subsequent four year legal battle that was finally settled in his favor. And now he's telling his story and encouraging the rest of the body of Christ to prepare for similar forms of persecution that may someday require us to choose between our jobs and our faith in Jesus Christ. Dr. Cochran is now a senior fellow and vice president at Alliance Defending Freedom and author of the book we'll be talking about, Facing the Fire, the faith that brought America's fire chief through the flames of persecution. So good to have you with us, Dr. Cochran. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Janet. Thank you for having me on your show. It's wonderful to have you here. I have followed your story since day one, and it's great that you have written this book. And I think it's interesting. You have had such an impressive firefighting career, and it strikes me how ironic it is that something like putting a biblical view of human sexuality in a book written on your own time ended up getting you fired, putting you through this whole legal battle. How do you reflect back on that experience at this juncture? Well, you know, Janet, I'm one of those American kids who uh, had a childhood dream to become a firefighter. You know, I was, I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, and it was in 1965 when I was five years old that one Sunday after church, we lived in a back alley where, where rows of shotgun houses were and uh, Miss Maddie, the lady that lived across the street from us, her house caught fire. And when the Shreveport firefighters came that day, we stood on the front porch. And I looked at those guys that day with so much excited, so much excitement. I told my mom and my brothers and sisters, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. <laughs> and in America, even in those days, when blacks could not even be firefighters, nobody ever told me that. They just said that all your dreams are going to come true if you believe in and have faith in God. And if you get a good education and if you treat other people like you want to be treated and respect grownups, they said all your dreams are going to come true. Right. And that is so true in our country. I was raised on faith and patriotism. So fast forward to 2015 for all of those dreams to come true. And then be at the pinnacle of my childhood dream come true, fairy tale career, only to be terminated for writing a book for Christian men's Bible study was quite uh, shocking and devastating, especially 
in the beloved United States of America. Oh, you're so right about that. Well, tell us a little bit about the book for listeners who don't recall all the circumstances. I I followed this again at the time, but you made one reference, didn't you, to homosexuality? That was the only reference that you had in the whole book? That's right, Janet. The book was uh, uh, for Christian men that really the, the whole premise of the book was how men should overcome condemnation. Too many Christian men struggle with guilt and shame from our carnal nature, even after we have confessed Christ. So that's the premise of the book. But I also focused on several sin issues that Christian men still struggle with today, and one of them is sexual sin. So I simply used the Bible to talk about phrases like, God made them male and female. A man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The two should become one flesh, and that God made it made male and female for procreation, and that it and to do it in a way that honors God, it has to be done in marriage. Right. Well, an openly gay Atlanta City Council member uh, found out what I had written about biblical marriage and sexuality. He complained to the then Honorable Mayor Kasim Reed, who, in his recent re-election shifted his position and began to support that platform. And because he supported that flat platform, he initially suspended me for 30 days. Now, Janet, the 30 days was to determine if I had ever discriminated against anyone based upon my biblical views. Mm. The investigation uh, proved that there was no form of discrimination, that even though they interviewed people from the LGBTQ community, in the city and on the department, they all raved about my fairness and honesty and how I treated them. Uh, but they determined that now that they knew I believed that they didn't feel that I was fit to lead anymore. And so at the end of my 30 day suspension, I was terminated. Well, there's so many directions to go on what happened to you. But you would think as a normal American citizen looking from the outside in that if you write a book in your spare time and you're a Christian and you wrote it for a Christian men's group, that it's really none of the business of your workplace to intervene and try to punish you over something that they would, I guess, consider some kind of thought crime, but is actually mainstream Orthodox biblical Christianity. How did you react when you were first suspended and were told that that was what was going to happen to you? I mean, it's so outrageous. Yeah, it is. You know, and you know, Janet, how some people who have a near-death experience say that their life flashed before their eyes? (laughs) Yes. Well, I had the same experience when I was terminated. God allowed my life to flash before my eyes. The blessing behind that was God was showing me, Janet, that through the abject poverty that I experienced as a kid being raised by a single mom and our father had left us and being raised on welfare and food stamps. God brought us through that. He showed me how he was with me during those early years in my career in Shreveport when I was one of the first African-American firefighters in dealing with unthinkable discrimination and how God brought me through that. He showed me how when I was in my terrible 20s, Janet, I call it, when I was not the man that God had called me to be as a husband and father and almost destroyed my family, God showed me, he brought me through that. And so there were different stages in life uh, that God had shown me, he brought me through, that he had prepared me for that moment through all the fires that I had faced prior to that moment. 
and I had this unexplainable peace and confidence uh, that God was with me uh, in that fire. And just like uh, he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, uh, he was with me as well. Yeah, the peace that passes all understanding. We all understand that as Christians. That's incredible. I, You know, I go back to some of the details of what the mayor did. Here you were condemned for your beliefs, fired by the city of Atlanta. They didn't even give you due process that was required under city rules, did they? No, they did not. They, their actions were pretty swift. They just called me in to this uh, human resource meeting and uh, pointed out specific areas of the book that they had a problem with uh, and that there was because I had a problem with that, it was a problem for the mayor. And then they explained to me the process that I was actually going to go through. But thanks be to God. And, and even before that, Janet, I, I, Janet, I had this, I had this, I don't know whether to call it naive or just faith. <laughs> I choose the faith side. But I just believed that after the investigation, they were going to put me back to work. Yeah. And so before my 30 days was over, I heard from Alliance Defending Freedom, who offered their services. And I said, hey, thanks, but no thanks. They're going to put me back to work. (laughs) And they convinced me that, hey, you need to have a plan B. So just in case, you know, let's let's look at this and go down this path. So I said, okay. And uh, after I went back on January the 6th and was fired, uh, I contacted Alliance Defending Freedom. And thanks be to God that they had then they were with me through that four-year legal journey that ended in vindication, Janet. And um, and uh, God was, uh, through Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, brought victory. But the victory was not just for me. It sets a precedent that any government employee that experienced the same thing will have to not will not have to go through what I went through. That we have in America the freedom to. Re- to uh, express our religion and to speak it uh, even in our private capacity without the fear of consequence. That's right. We're talking with Dr. Calvin Cochran. We'll come back talking about his book, Facing the Fire. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. The U.N. has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families, living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim-cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of $100 helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, my guest is one of our Christian heroes, modern day Christian heroes. I really believe so. Former Atlanta Fire Chief Kelvin Cochran. We've been discussing his story from several years back when he lost his job as this really award winning fire chief uh, in the city of Atlanta. He had won awards for his work. He had been the first black fire chief in his native Shreveport, Louisiana. And then he was left without a job. And his crime was talking about biblical sexuality in a book that he wrote himself. And it was such an unjust thing. It was kind of funny, Dr. Cochran, when you were talking toward the end of the last segment, you were mentioning that in the end, what you went through with your legal battle, you received a substantial settlement from the city of Atlanta. But you were, to use another fire metaphor, a a trailblazer. Have you seen much fruit from that experience that, that you ended up prevailing with that settlement what has been the result of winning that settlement and the reverberating effects, as it were, on other Christians? Uh, there has been situations where I have had the opportunity to share my story with other believers that have inspired them in their walk of faith. Since that time, uh, when I was terminated, I was immediately employed by the Elizabeth Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where Uh, God used all of my years of experience in public administration to begin to serve in church administration. And uh, I served in that capacity for five and a half years until recently I was appointed to senior fellow and vice president for Alliance Defending Freedom. That's great. And part of that responsibility, Janet, is to build and develop a national deployment plan so that any time a believer is attacked for living out their faith, there will be a coordinated response led by Alliance Defending Freedom uh, from the body of Christ to respond on behalf of that believer Good. every single time. So that's in the works now. That is wonderful. Well, you think of people like Jack Phillips and Baron L. Stutzman and some of these other Christians who have found themselves in the crosshairs of the LGBT ideology. How do you look upon the threat that that particular ideology poses to our religious freedom and and all of the other Christians who've gone through similar situations to yours? Well, they seem to have the momentum now of... uh, Uh, With cancel culture, they have redefined the American definition of tolerance. We have so many success stories in our history, though we've had many challenges, of where despite our diversity of race, religions, and ethnicities, and even opinions, when we have conflict, we somehow manage to get to a point to where we focus on the things we have in common and find a place of common ground and unity. 
Cancel culture has changed all of that. Cancel culture says that if you disagree with me, then you hate me, and every word that comes out of your mouth that's in disagreement is now called hate speech. And because tolerance is, and, and, and once we define you as a hater, your speech is hate speech, we're going to destroy your livelihood, and in some cases, they'll destroy even your family. So the desire, the design of cancel culture is to eliminate your opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in our country. And they seem to be prevailing because many believers do not have the courage and grace to stand against cancel culture. And our fear of losses and consequences cause us to be silent or passive. And so I believe what is what God is calling us to in this season, Janet, is that we've got to trust his track record of faithfulness mm-hmm. in the Bible and in the lives of other believers and and believe that the same God that he was for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, uh, Joseph, Esther, he, he's the same God today. And that if we had the courage and grace to stand, he will stand with us uh, so that the world may see, like Nebuchadnezzar said, no one should worship any other God but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm -hmm. God wants to show himself strong on our behalf, but he won't do it if we don't have the courage and grace to stand. That's right. Amen to that. That's very true. When you're talking about cancel culture, Christians, I think, are beginning to feel this more acutely. You have censorship by big tech. They get kicked off Facebook for talking about marriage being between a man and a woman or put in time out or you get videos taken down. This has happened in my life where we've had videos taken down of Christian conferences that are not politically correct for big tech. These sorts of things are happening more and more. How do you think that the church ought to be responding individually? Obviously, we have some efforts out there, uh, efforts like you just described, which are going to be phenomenal. But individually, what should Christians be doing to prepare for a time in which they might face a similar situation to yours? Well, I think what we do every day has a big influence on how prepared we are. And spending time with God every day. There are people that are listening to your show who know they're in an environment, a work environment, a business environment, where it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so they should begin to strengthen themselves and encourage themselves in the Lord by spending time before God every single day. The other thing uh, beyond the personal commitment of just just spending time with God every day is to be active in your local church. One of the, the blessings I experienced when I was ter- terminated was because I was active in my local church, my pastor and congregation publicly stood with me and rallied other local churches and congregations around me. So I would encourage believers to become active in your local church so that you know that you'll have that support base around you. And then the third thing that I would say is do not fear the consequences and know that there are Christian law firms like Alliance Defending Freedom 
that will stand with you legally to support you uh, with legal guidance and legal counsel. Uh, and then again, of course, the, the, the last thing I'll just reemphasize, in about four to six months, whenever a believer has an encounter where they are persecuted for their stand, they will certainly not stand alone. ADF is going to lead a charge from believers from the local, state, and federal level to immediately respond on their behalf with prayer, pastoral care, benevolent support, legal guidance and counsel, community engagement, so that they'll know that they are not by themselves. Well, that's fantastic. Did you ever, just out of curiosity, did you ever have anybody from the city of Atlanta organically contact you and say, you were wronged, we're sorry, this never should have happened? Did anybody show regret from Atlanta after everything you guys went through? No, ma'am. Sadly, no one ever did. Hmm. That's awful. Somebody should have. Somebody in your department or, you know, the city offices somewhere. Somebody should have. Well, no one in the official capacity. I had many uh, friends uh, and colleagues to privately and silently say what you just said. Yeah. But they didn't do so publicly because they were afraid that if they spoke out on my behalf publicly, what happened to me would happen to them. Ugh. It's terrible. In the United States of America, I mean, you keep, I keep going back to that like you did. How does this happen in the United States of America? But we are increasingly a society that is moving away from the Lord. And I guess this is where you end up when that happens. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, I think that uh, it's just a matter, it's a faith issue. Um, There are worldly consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. But there are also kingdom consequences for standing on biblical truth and standing for Christ. And the kingdom consequences are always, always greater than the worldly consequences. The Bible proves that over and over again. And one of the things that the readers will see in my story, Facing the Fire, is I'm living proof of it. You know, Janet, Jesus says, whatever you lose standing for me, I will restore it 100-fold in this life mm-hmm. with persecution. And I can tell you, and I can ho- hope I can say it without, with, and keep my composure, but my experience is living proof that Jesus Christ was not exaggerating. He was not using hyperbole, I lost friends, but the friends that I've gained are a hundred times greater than the friends that I've lost. Hmm. I lost my job as a fire chief, but being the senior fellow and vice president of Alliance Defending Freedom is a hundred times greater than even being the fire chief. I lost income. I didn't get, I wasn't invested invested in the retirement, but the settlement and the income from who told you that you were naked and the income that I've gained since I've been fired is a hundred times greater than the income that I've lost. Gee, God wants all of his sons and daughters to experience that in real time, Janet. But if we don't have the courage and grace to stand, we'll never see what that looks like. Right, right. So it would seem that your reflection back on what happened was 
God, they may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Is that a fair summary? <laughs> yes, sister, you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, well, and it, I'll tell you, your story and how it all unfolded and then how it ended is a great encouragement, I would say, to Christians like me, and I'm sure many, many listeners who have followed your story through the last several years will not only be encouraged to hear what you've said, but also to read your book. And I just want to highly commend the book to you. It's called Facing the Fire, the Faith that Brought America's Fire Chief Through the Flames of Persecution, written by Dr. Kelvin Cochran, now with Alliance Defending Freedom. Our friends are wonderful over there. And God bless you, Dr. Cochran. Keep on going strong for the Lord, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for your encouragement, Janet, and I really appreciate being on your show. Oh, thank you. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Interesting, isn't it, that the Southwest Airlines CEO is out there doing the media rounds in light of all of these canceled flights due to weather. Didn't affect other airlines, but apparently there was some gigantic thunderstorm that just hovered over Southwest airplanes. And there's no truth whatsoever to some of the leaks coming from Southwest pilots and other employees that they are standing up against this draconian mandate that they have to be vaccinated for COVID-19 or lose their jobs. There are a couple of things that are really problematic, first of which is this interview from Greg Kelly claiming that the vax mandate had nothing to do with mass flight cancellation. So let's set this up. The question basically is, how many of these flights that you guys have canceled over at Southwest Airlines were due to people standing up against the mandate? Here's what he said. Cut one. Zero. I mean, again, we look at all of our employee behaviors in terms of absenteeism, uh, in terms of people volunteering uh, to come in and pick up what's referred to as open time. And they're very, they're all very normal. Uh, the president of our pilots union has been out talking to the media, uh, confirming all of that. So, I think people again that that understand how airlines work, when you get behind, it just takes several days to catch up. Okay, do you believe that? I I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Maybe he's trying to parse his words in some way, and you're not supposed to take anything that he said and, and and failed to see exactly the way he said it. So you weren't misunderstanding. I, you know how these things work? The PR spin that goes on? What He's not going to get out there and say, yeah, they're all standing up against the vaccine mandate and we're against what they're doing or we're for what they do. You know, they're not going to say that. He's definitely not going to say that. Now, listen to what he said that followed up on this. This is, again, Gary Kelly saying he is actually against the vaccine mandate. This is cut two. I've never been uh, in favor of corporations imposing that kind of a mandate. I'm not in favor of that, never have been. Uh, but the 
executive order from President Biden mandates that all federal employees and then all federal contractors, which covers uh, all the major airlines, uh, have to have a mandate in pl- a vaccine in place by December the 8th. So we're working through that. First of all, I have a couple of things to say in that regard. He may be against mandates, but there is a story here via Bloomberg that American and Southwest are planning to abide by the Biden vaccine order and defy Texas because Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order prohibiting vaccine mandates by any entity. And it's very interesting to see the statement that he put out on social media uh, saying that he issued this executive order stating no entity in Texas can compel receipt of a COVID-19 vaccination by any individual, including an employee or consumer who objects to such vaccination for any reason of personal conscience based on a religious belief or for medical reasons, including prior recovery from COVID-19. This is great. And Abbott said the COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective and our best defense against the virus, but should remain voluntary and never forced. That's a common sense position. And yet American and Southwest say they're going to defy Texas. They're going to follow President Joe Biden's mandate. What's the problem with that? Hey, wait a minute. The Federalist had a piece on this just a few days ago. Joe Biden's vaccine mandate doesn't exist. Did you know that? It's just a press release. It's just a press release. And this Joy Pullman article over at The Federalist points out this is why nearly two dozen Republican attorneys general who publicly voiced their opposition to this mandate haven't filed suit against it yet because there is no mandate to haul into court. And she says that may be part of the plan. According to several sources, so far it appears no such mandate has been sent to the White House's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs yet for approval. The White House and OSHA and the Department of Labor haven't released any official guidance for the alleged mandate. There's no executive order. There's nothing but press statements. And press statements, as you probably can surmise, have zero legal authority. Very interesting. To impose the public perception of a mandate, though... The Biden administration is following an unusual rulemaking process that it also employed earlier this year. It's called an Emergency Temporary Standard, or ETS. Companies are telling reporters their vaccine mandates will have at the latest December deadlines. That's what you just heard Greg Kelly say. Uh, But lawyers, for those who can't calendar, it's four months after the non-existent mandate was proclaimed. According to OSHA, an ETS takes up to six months to go into effect after the initial mandate is issued in the Federal Register, which hasn't happened yet. So there's no mandate that it has to be done in December. Lawyers for big business were blunt about their love for this mandate mirage. Minneapolis employment lawyer Kate Bischoff told Bloomberg Law in September, everybody loves this cover. Many were already looking down the road at doing this, but the fact that they get to blame Biden is like manna from heaven. Using the ETS procedure instead of normal federal rulemaking processes both allows the Biden administration to push its demands faster and without any public input or requirement of responding to public input, which is normally required of even legally laughable federal rulemaking like this one would be. And that's part of why ETS rules have been overwhelmingly overturned in courts. So Greg Kelly is going to have a hard time saying, on the one hand, I don't want vaccine mandates. I'm against it. But what can I do? It's a mandate. No, it's not a mandate. There's no need to go forward with this because there is no mandate. It doesn't exist. There's no law either. It doesn't exist. And number two, look who he's defying. 
If he's against a vaccine mandate for his employees, then why is Southwest saying it's going to stand up against Governor Abbott's executive order freeing these companies from the obligation of having to force their employees to get COVID-19 vaccinations? That's where they're going to take their stand. They'll rise up against Governor Abbott, but they won't rise up against Joe Biden. Everything you are probably surmising from this is likely true. American Greatness also has a piece that is very important talking about this issue. During an interview with ABC News on Tuesday, Gary Kelly stated no employees would be fired over the company's vaccine mandate, except for the fact the airline announced on October 4th that all 56,000 U.S. Southwest employees needed to get vaccinated against COVID-19 by November 24th or face termination. That's kind of that's kind of a big gap between claim and reality, isn't it? Oh, nobody's going to be fired. Nobody's going to be fired. Greg Kelly said there was no evidence that any type of demonstration against the mandate had contributed to the service disruptions. As you heard, he said he said that the mandate is very controversial, but not something he wanted for his company. But then you scroll down and you look at what uh, the company put out. This is guidance. I'll read it to you. This is from Southwest sent to the employees on October 4th. It says employees who don't upload proof of vaccination in work perks or submit a request for accommodation by noon central on November 24th will be scheduled for a fact finding meeting or other applicable meeting with their leader. Failure to comply with the COVID-19 vaccine policy will result in termination of employment. So how are you guys able to have a fully staffed company all during the course of the pandemic when there was no vaccine on the market? you're not allowed to ask questions. And if you do ask intelligent questions, you're not going to get an intelligent answer because this is not about being intelligent and it's not about exhibiting any common sense. And it certainly isn't something with true human rights and freedoms in mind. When you have a vaccine that has not even gone through the third clinical trial, as in the case of the mRNA vaccine put out by Pfizer. Now you've got scientists from Pfizer on the record via Project Veritas saying if you've had COVID-19, you have better protection than you would with the vaccine. And then Pfizer, you know, says nothing. What are they going to say? But you have people admitting this off the record. They didn't know they were being secretly recorded by Project Veritas. But it doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't add up. If these people loved freedom, they would stand up for their employees and say, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And there's nothing Biden could do anyway, because there is no executive order. There is no mandate. What are they going to do to them? I mean, I I suppose there are ways that they could financially penalize them here and there. But freedom, folks, Patrick Henry, give me freedom. Give me liberty or give me death is the exact quote. Do we love our freedom? Anymore, And even if you are somebody who has received the vaccine and is grateful for the vaccine and God bless you for taking that position, I think that's fine. You should be against vaccine mandates because it's un-American. The government does not have the right to tell you you have to take a certain medical treatment and think how that could be exploited down the road with these nuts running the show. Things we didn't even think were possible a year ago are reality today. And I salute all the Southwest employees. And it looks like more airline employees who may be following suit and standing up. These guys know what's going on. And God bless them. We'll be right back.
This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. When this mom came into a preborn center to schedule an abortion, she had no idea that the life inside of her was not just one, but two. Uh, when I see the ultrasound and everything, for me, they changed my whole life. Here in the heartbeat, I want to keep the baby, especially when they told me that there were two and only one. And now her twins are eight. I want to be a doctor when I grow up. When I grow up, I want to work at a zoo and be a veterinarian. When an expectant mother sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. Preborn is the number one competition to plan parenthood in the USA. Your donation of $28 sponsors one ultrasound. And for $140, you can help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, I apologize. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, I have been, and you've probably heard this in my voice, I've been struggling quite a bit. I completely lost my voice at one point and was really struggling to be able to get through some of the things I was saying. So now that my voice is coming back, thank you, Lord. I'm going to try to comment a little bit more on this issue of what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. There's been a lot of stuff, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds because I understand not everybody is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Not everybody cares about the Southern Baptist Convention, although I will say that if you are a Christian, you ought to care because this is the largest evangelical denomination, despite what Ed Litton says, but you know we can't, can't go by what Ed Litton says anyway. He said it's not a denomination. Oh, okay. Um, Uh, in the United States. And so we need to be concerned about the direction of the SBC because mm, there are a lot of things that will come of this. So last we heard about the Southern Baptist Convention, you had this whole executive committee flap over waiving attorney-client privilege. This was something the messengers had voted to do back at the last annual meeting because they want to probe more into the sexual abuse issue and have accountability. It gets very complicated. Well, now the longtime general counsel for the SBC has cut ties with them. How How is this surprising, though, to anybody? They were actually making the argument that You know, one of the important things about the attorney-client privilege is that it allows you to talk about things and to discuss things and to probe things that if it were all out in the open, you couldn't talk about. And that's actually part of justice and the justice system. It's actually an intelligent concept that needs to be in place. And they said, if you're going to waive attorney-client privilege, we're out of here. I don't blame them. Who in the world is going to represent this denomination? It's 
you know, I don't believe any of this. I, I really do stand with the people who have been saying over and over and over again, this is not just about sexual abuse. I'm not saying they don't care about sexual abuse victims on the left. And it's become very, very cool to do it. Of course, some of these same people were out going after advocates like me behind the scenes when it wasn't cool to be all on board with the sexual abuse issue in the church. But we won't talk about that right now. We'll put that aside for the time being. But now we have something that I think warrants full attention. I don't have any faith necessarily that it will be dealt with fairly by these woke types in the SBC, because as I was saying a moment ago, I really do believe what conservatives are thinking about the direction of the SBC and about what happened here. This is just about grabbing power from the denomination and getting rid of the conservatives. You've had 10 people resign from the executive committee already who are just saying, I can't take this anymore. And Who can blame them? Who can blame them? All the insanity that has gone on at the SBC. Why would a normal person? It's kind of like politics in general. I salute every single Christian conservative who is able to serve in public office because it's not an easy place to be. But if we abandon those spots, the vacuum will be filled and it won't be filled by conservatives and it won't be filled by Christians. So you need to be there in so far as God has called you to be there. But this is a bigger story. This is the one I really want to get to. I think I had mentioned a few days ago about this letter that was released by an ERLC at-large trustee. This actually was dated in September, but it was recently leaked, and the Christian posted a pretty good story on this. This letter is something else. Jonathan Whitehead, uh, who's a lawyer, wrote this and was informing uh, the executive committee of the fact that Russell Moore, the former head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, And the ERLC board chairman, Dr. David Prince, consciously concealed the claims in Dr. Moore's February 2020 letter from the ERLC trustees until it was leaked by an ERLC trustee to the media in May 2021. Let me back up a bit in in case you forgot what happened. Right before the annual meeting, when the new president was going to be elected in the Southern Baptist Convention, you had a letter, and I believe it was two letters, leaked. But the first one was a real nuclear bomb. And it was Russell Moore basically lamenting the fact that horrible people were conspiring and it was awful and and all of these charges against Mike Stone, who was running for president of the SBC. It was awful. And he talked about the sexual abuse problem and all these terrible things that had happened. But apparently he never brought it up to the executive committee. Despite pointed questions to both men about the ERLC and uh, the executive committee relationship at our fall 2020 annual trustee meeting, Whitehead says both men insisted that relations were positive and neither disclosed the alarming facts in that February 2020 letter. His conclusion is that it was all political. Well, of course it was all political. This is Russell Moore we're talking about. How long have we been saying he's a political operative? That's his deal. He is a snake. He will say all kinds of things that will earn trust from Christians who are not very discerning or not cynical enough to understand the sin nature is way worse than we know. He is the key. I mean, how in the world can you, on the one hand, read that letter that he put out and say he was such a brave warrior that he sat on the letter for a year and a half and then released it on the eve of the annual meeting? By releasing it, he was able to get all the people on his side revved up so they would do the bidding of the left within the SBC. And that's exactly what happened. You got Ed Litton, the plagiarist, as the president of the convention. 
And look what that has yielded. Oh, I, I don't know that I really did anything wrong. I know I was caught on tape saying that I lied to my church about how much time I spend on sermon preparation. That guy is going around to seminaries now. He's doing his seminary tours. He was at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary recently. Adam Greenway, the president of that seminary, brought him on board. People were hounding him rightly on Twitter and saying, how in the world can you bring an unrepentant plagiarist in front of your students when your students would be expelled from your seminary for plagiarizing? And they don't care. And now, this week, it was Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Danny Aiken. Oh, my friend, Ed Litton. Oh, Ed is such a grand man of God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Ed Litton's going to come and speak at our chapel service. Yeah, the seminaries are gone, folks. The seminaries are gone, and I really can't think of a whole lot of seminaries that are left that you could even recommend for training a man to become a pastor, that would really teach everything the pastor needs to know and not give you any of the woke garbage. It's getting harder and harder, kind of like with Christian colleges and universities. But here is this letter talking about how Russell Moore pulled a fast one, withheld his concerns in this leaked letter in order to shake the trust at the SBC annual meeting. You should read this story that was put out by Brandon Showalter, it's really good. Whitehead was interviewed by the Christian Post and emphasized that Baptists can't sit by quietly when severe allegations, particularly those regarding sexual abuse, rank bigotry and molestation are occurring in ministries. He said, what we had is a February 2020 letter from Russell Moore to the executive committee of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. That should be about five folks. And they should have received this letter. The letter makes claims about a behind-the-scenes group that is angry about or was trying to cover up child molestation and bigotry. And more added in the letter, he was hearing himself scream at night and that he couldn't live with the screams any longer. Whitehead said, the question for me is what happened next? Because as a trustee of the ERLC, I was asking some pretty detailed questions about how we were relating to the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. And the letter describes some really horrific things going on behind the scenes in Southern Baptist life. And the trustees of the ERLC weren't told about it. Now, one of the things that he mentions in the letter is this Dr. David Prince, the ERLC board chair, said, oh, he wrote it in the heat of the moment. So it wasn't a problem. And they told the ERLC board, everything's fine. Everything's good. How could those things both be true? Everything was fine. Everything was good. Oh, I think I'll trot out an old letter. Somebody will leak it, even though everybody... Uh, trustee-wise, according to this story, has denied leaking it. I have my own theories on who might have leaked it, but I'm not going to say who that might be. I have theories. That's all I'm going to say. There is such corruption in this denomination, it's beyond belief. And if the Southern Baptists really understood what's at stake here, they would either leave the denomination altogether or they would rise up and throw these corrupt leaders out in the streets. Not literally, but throw them out. They should be thrown out. They should be forced to resign, and it ought to start with Ed Litton. Russell Moore's off to his greener pastures over at Christianity today. He's gone. But Ed Litton's still there, and these seminary presidents are still there. What are you going to do about it? You know, I really pray that the Lord will move in the hearts and the minds of average Southern Baptists because you are the only ones, by the grace of God, who could make any kind of substantive difference in cleaning out and cleaning up the corruption. 
And I also want to remind you that we are really excited to be partnering with Heart for Lebanon to get needed survival essentials and the gospel to these families. There are thousands of them in Lebanon right now who need survival essentials, but most of all, they need Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, the Heart for Lebanon ministry over there is just exploding. There are so many families on a waiting list right now to get help. And if you can give a gift today of $116, you'll help bring a child and his or her family survival essentials for the next four months. They'll also hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, get Christian education, go to Bible studies and churches. It's just fantastic. You can also help by committing to a gift of $29 per month. Here's the number to call. It's 888-247-5499, 888 888- 247-5499 or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner to click at JanetMefford.com Thank you so much